Second Peter chapter three, verse one. Let's, let's read verses one through nine. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, and both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, 
reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I thought I turned it on, but maybe I didn't. All right, so let's have a word of prayer. And let's, and then the title of this is Let Us Be Reminded. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege of ours to assemble together this morning and to look on your precious word. Now, Lord, I pray that we would be reminded and would continue to remind ourselves in these days in which we're living of the promises that you've given to us in your precious word, that they might encourage and strengthen us and challenge us to be faithful until our Lord comes. Speak to our hearts through your word. Glorify your, yourself. May the Lord Jesus Christ be lifted up, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Peter and Second Timothy have much in common. Both, you know, t- uh, of course, Peter wrote Peter. Paul wrote Second Timothy. Both were facing martyrdom. Neither one was discouraged. Uh, you know, Peter talks about his experiences that he had on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, he said, you know, he said, knowing this, I must shortly put off this my tabernacle, even as the Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. And, and, and of course, he, he talks about the conditions of the last day, similar to what we see in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, particularly in chapter 2 here of 2 Peter. When we come to chapter 3, he says, I want to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And, he, and notice he uses the word minds, remembrance in verse 1, mindful in verse 2, um, and then in verse uh, 8, I think it is verse 8, be not ignorant. Uh, and then again, another verse here, I think he uses the word be not ignorant. So he wants us to have in mind, as we consider the last days, some things we need to be mindful of or bear in mind or be awake to. Jesus told his disciples as he was in the garden to watch and pray. So to be alert, to be awake to, to think about. You know, the, the great battle is in the mind. As Bob Jones Sr. said, every, behind every sin there's a process of wicked thinking. So the battle's in the mind, and, and the world is amusing itself right to hell. Amuse means think, and all means not. And they're amusing themselves, right? They don't want to think about it. The guy told me yesterday, I don't want to think about it. I'll wait till the time comes. You know, I always think of the good things to say after I leave. Maybe I'd have got hit if I said it. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Really, that, what that means is, no God. No to God. You know. But that's where we are. But God wants us to think. He wants us to be mindful of, th- of some things. Matthew 24, speaking about the last times, Jesus said in verses 42 to 46, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched when not suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season. 
Blessed is that servant whom, the, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. And, and also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, as we studied through 1 Thessalonians uh, a couple months back, writing to the Thessalonians, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 4 to 6, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken, are drunken in the night. Uh, John also warned us in, in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. He said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. Be awake. Be mindful of the fact that there are going to be false prophets are going out into the world. And so we need to be reminded of some things. We need to be aware of. We need to bear in mind of some things uh, as we consider the second coming of Christ or what the Bible calls the last days. And I want you to notice some things that we are to be reminded of. First of all, of the words of the prophets. In verse 2, he says that you may be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets. So we want to be mindful of the words of the prophets. What did the prophets say? And, of course, the prophets gave the word of the Lord. And, and there are many of the prophets that spoke about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in power and in glory. Isaiah spoke much about it. In Isaiah chapter 9, familiar passage, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders. Now, this part we haven't seen yet. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And in chapter 11. Verse 1 through 10, he describes this kingdom somewhat. He says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he and shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor." And reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with a rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. It's describing Revelation 19 there. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins. And faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the kid. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And the little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play in the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Wouldn't that be a wonderful day that the earth is full of the knowledge of the Lord? It certainly isn't now. But Isaiah goes on, chapter 61. And we need to be mindful that God is... You know, he fulfilled part the parts of his first coming. He's going to fulfill the rest. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, or 1 through 3. 
The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are brown, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And there's a comma there, and Jesus quoted that much of it in Luke chapter 4. But he stopped at the comma. That's the first coming. The rest of it has to do with the second coming. And it says, And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all, all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for, for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And then again in, in Zechariah chapter 14, Zechariah chapter, you know, in almost in every prophet, there's something about the second coming of the Lord. I'm just looking at a few of them this morning. But Zechariah 14, and uh, verse 1, says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and the half of the city shall go forth into captivity. And the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in the day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley, and half of the mountain shall be moved toward the north and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yea, ye shall flee like as you fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all his saints with thee. And of course Jude tells us that even Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh, when ten thousands of his saints, to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You see, we need to be reminded of the words of the prophets. The prophets spoke of the coming of the Lord. We need also be reminded of the commandments of the apostles. Again, in verse 2 he says, Be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandments of us, the apostles, of the Lord and Savior. You know, the very first sermon Peter preaches, he makes reference to the fact that the Lord's, he is both Lord and Christ. Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection and, the, and again the, and the coming of the Lord. In, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 to 10, uh, the, the, when the Lord is going to come and take vengeance on them that know not God and be glorified in his saints. And then again in Second, Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 1. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. You see, we need to remind ourselves or bear in mind the words of the prophets and of the commandments of the apostles of the Lord. So we need to remind ourselves, that, but we also need to be reminded that in the last days, there's going to be a prevalence of scoffers. Notice in verse 3, 
Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. Now, a scoffer is one that who scoffs, of course. He is to deride or to mock or to make fun of. Make fun of. You know, this is how they excuse themselves. They, you know, they will say nothing has changed. They just continue as they always have. You know, the second coming of Christ is just a crutch for his Christians, uh, an escape door from responsibility. And uh, um, you know, that should not be true of us. Should not be true of us. You know, you'll hear you'll hear you'll hear things like this from Christians. Well, we just let go. God will take care of it and judge it. You know, there's some things we need to take care of now. Some things need to be taken care of now. Well, might as well enjoy it. You're going to to die anyway. No, we shouldn't say things like that. God wants us to, yes, enjoy this life, but he also wants us to live to please him. To honor him with our spirit and our body. But these, these mockers, there are things that the Bible says here they are willfully ignorant of. They willfully, in other words, they they purposely choose to ignore. They purposely choose to ignore. Notice again verse 5 it says, it says, for this they willingly are ignorant of. So there's some things that they're, they're willingly ignorant of. They just choose to ignore it. I'll give you several things. First of all, uh, they are ignorant of the fact that God created the world. You notice in verse, uh, verse, verse 5, it says, For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Now, they're ignorant of the fact that the world is not self-creating and self-sufficient. The world was not made by the laws of nature or operates or continues by the laws of nature. God created it. God created this world. It didn't create itself. And God keeps it in order. God keeps it in order. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Hebrews, look at Hebrews 11, verse 3. Hebrews 11, verse 3. Oh, I know he's familiar to you, but Hebrews 11, 3 says, Through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And then uh, Colossians chapter 3, no, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 1. Verse 15, speaking about Christ, it says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created. Of course, we know in John 1, 1, that uh, uh, um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So here, Paul is again rehearsing that, that, that by him, again, by the Lord Jesus Christ, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And then notice this phrase, and he is before all things, 
and by him all things consist. He's the glue that holds it all together. It's not nature that keeps itself together, that keeps this earth in order, or this universe in order. It's God. It's God that keeps it in order. In fact, we'll see later on here, he said he's, he's keeping it in store for a certain time. So, there is the fact that the world is not self-creating and it is not self-sufficient. It's not made by the laws of nature or operate by the laws of nature. God created it and keeps it in order. Secondly, they're ignorant of the fact that the world has not always been as it is. Notice verse 6. And, and that's one of the things they say in verse 4. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Verse 6. Whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. Now, of course, this is a reference to the flood. And he said that the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. And he talks about how the, the, the old world uh, is, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. So, so you know, the, the, uh, the world that, uh, has not always been as it is. This is, of course, a denial of the flood of Noah. Now, we don't know everything about what that must have been like, but it, the Bible says it didn't rain. There was just a mist come up off the earth to water the earth. It's believed, you know, scientists believe that there was a, some kind of canopy over the earth to cover it and, and to make it sort of like a, a, a tropics. The tropics. Always comfortable. By the way, they didn't need meat back then either. No meat. I mean, it's just like it says in Isaiah 11. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. There was no death. Uh, that, of course, that's in the Garden of Eden. But, you know, of course, after Adam and Eve sinned, there was, there was death and destruction. But, but uh, the earth was different. It wasn't always as it is. Uh, but the flood changed all that. Uh, look at Job 22. Job 22. The Bible makes reference to this in, in several places. Job makes reference to it. Job is really the oldest book in the Bible. Um, Job 22, verse 15. Hast thou marked the old way which wicked men have trodden, which were cut down out of time, whose foundations foundation was overthrown or overflown with a flood? Overflowing with a flood. Um, Jesus made reference to it in Matthew chapter 20, 24. And, 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 you know, this is the way they are today, just like, you know, he said they would be like this in Matthew 24, verse 36 to 39. But that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage on the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. You know, again, they were just scoffing at Noah. You know, there's this old man up there building this ark. And, you know, there's no water here. Where are you going to float this thing? You know, I can imagine the things they were saying. And Noah says it's going to rain. Well, it's never rained on the earth before.
Second Peter 2, verse 5 says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. You know, the whole geological structure of the earth was changed because of the flood. Again, that's how we got to Grand Canyon. And every ancient civilization has evidence to the fact that there was a worldwide flood. Written on caves, carved in caves, and all kinds of things. Uh, so, the world has not always been as it is. The third thing that they're willingly ignorant of is that the heavens and earth are kept in store. Notice in verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, again, the word, the creating power of God, the word of the Lord, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The word kept in store means to lay up or heap up. Heap up. It kind of reminds me of Romans chapter 2 where I believe it says it, that they've, they've treasured up to themselves uh, against the day of judgment. In other words, they, 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 they've been... They've been heaping up their wickedness until God's going to one day had enough. He's going to destroy them. And here it says this is kept in store. It's heaping up. It's reserved till the judgment and destruction of the wicked. You see, God created this a moral universe, and man refuses to submit to God's laws. They will not be accountable to God. And he is reserving the world as it is presently to the day of judgment. Matthew 25, 31, 32 says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats. Second Peter 2 and verse 9 says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Now Hebrews 9.27, As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. You see, this world as it is, is being kept or reserved to the day of judgment of ungodly men. Fourthly, they're also ignorant of the fact that the Lord's timetable is not the same as ours. Notice verse 8. But, beloved, be not ignorant. And again, we need to be reminded of this as well. Be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Psalm 90 verse 4 says this, For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night. So, a thousand years to God is like a night to us. God's eternal. He doesn't think in this box we call time. He knows no time. He's eternal. Spurgeon said this, and I quote, All things are equally near and present to his view. The distance of a thousand years before the occurrence of event is no more to him 
than would be an interval of a day. With God, indeed, there is neither past, present, nor future. He takes for his name the I am. He is the I am. I am in the present. I am in the past. And I am in the future. Just as we say of God that he is everywhere, so we may say of him that he is always. He is everywhere in space. He is everywhere in time. Another commentator said this, and I quote, God sees time with a perspective we lack. Even the delay of a thousand years may well seem like a day against the back cloth of eternity. Furthermore, God sees time with an intensity we lack. One day with the Lord is like a thousand years, unquote. Now, as you think about perspective, or, the, or you could say the span of time, uh, you know, we think of years, days, hours, minutes, seconds. And we live in those time increments. And God says, I live in eternity. I don't even recognize an hour. You know, he doesn't even think that way. But in thinking about the intensity of time, you know, all things, think about all the things happening on earth. It makes our time intense. All the trials, the temptations, the suffering, the evil, wars, cursing and blaspheming, all this going on around us. And, you know, it, 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 it just, it, there's just so much in one day. Sometimes we feel like we can't handle it. But we only see and hear what is in our own little world. God sees what goes on in the whole world. Not just what's on the news. He sees it all. It's a warning to us that the justice of God will not sleep forever. Christ will come at his appointed time. And he's going to destroy, he's going to judge this earth and condemn and destroy ungodly and wicked men. So we must remember that God's timetable is not ours. It's not ours. He don't think in this little box we call time. And then number five. We also need to be reminded of the fact that God has no pleasure in the destruction of mankind. If you notice in verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, why is it? You know, we sometimes uh, you may think in our minds, why is it that the Lord tarries his coming? Why is it? What's keeping him from coming? You know, I'm sure they asked that at his first coming as well. You know, remember... Remember, between the Old and New Testament, the Old New Testament, there was what they called what, 400 silent years. Many of Israel, Israelites probably thought God just forgot all about us. Forgot all about his promises that he made. But he didn't. He said when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, 
And, 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 and God is not tearing. He's not slack, as some men count slackness. The word slack means to loiter or to render long. Uh, no, He is long-suffering. The reason He's not come, He is long-suffering. God loves man. God loves mankind. I'm reminded of Proverbs 8.31 where it says, where the Lord Jesus said, My delights were with the sons of men. You see, man was the crowning point of God's creation. God made man alone for fellowship. And God has no pleasure or takes no delight in bringing judgment upon ungodly men. Ezekiel speaks much about this. Ezekiel 18, verse 30, 32. Therefore will I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. Ezekiel 33:11. Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? John 3:16 and 17. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. First Timothy 2.4 Who will have all men to be saved? In other words, God's desire is all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, the reason the Lord hasn't come The reason it seems like he is tearing or awaiting his coming is he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Those scoffers that are scoffing at him, he has no pleasure in sending them to hell. But they will go there if they refuse to repent. You know, God is holy, God is just, but God is also a God of love. Somebody said a man may die and go to hell, but he will never go to hell unloved. And as we live in these last days, the other days of discouragement, days where sometimes you think, what's the use? What's the use? But we need to be reminded that God spoke of these times that he, the prophets, spoke about it. The apostles spoke about it. He said there would be scoffers who would make fun of us. We're kind of weird, you know. In case you didn't know that, we are. 
we're legalists. That's, at least that's what they say. I like what Bob Mitchell said one time. He said, people will say, you're a legalist. He says, define that term. See, the definition of a legalist is you're trusting in your works to save you. That's legalism. Not because you have standards, because you're saved. No, you're trusting in your works or your standards to save you. There is such thing as legalists, but I'm not a legalist. So we need to be reminded as we're living in these last days of the words of the prophets, the apostles, scoffers. The Lord's timetable is not ours. And that God has no pleasure in man's destruction. And it ought not to please us or pleasure us to see man's destruction either. We need to believe and think on God's promises This needs to be in our mind. We need to be aware of. Lest we forget why we're here. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20. The Bible says this, the last half of that verse. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. God wants us to be established in these last days. And if we're going to be established, we have to keep these things in mind. We need to be reminded. We need to remind ourselves that God's still on the throne and Christ is still coming to judge this wicked world. We need to be prepared and we need to be endeavoring to help prepare others for that coming as well.